Hey up, how do, and welcome to our fourth chat here on Loose Lips. We're going to be speaking with Rico. He's an absolute don in the Byron hospitality scene. Uh, previously on today's chats, we've had some great ones. This is the 10th feature of Loose Lips. 10th feature since lockdown started. It's bonkers to think, actually, isn't it? But uh, first, we spoke with Toyin, who is based out in Qatar. We're speaking to him about the scene out there. He's a promoter, DJ, brand creative and also got a bit of an insight into how we feel like the World Cup will look in 2022 for people who are heading over there. Then we spoke with singer-songwriter Sam Airy who was telling us about the life of a singer-songwriter. Good chat with him, good to know where he draws his inspiration from. Uh, we had a good natter. Then we spoke with Laura Bartlett, who is the founder and CEO of the lifestyle travel magazine House of Coco, which is sold in places like Harrods. We spoke with her just just gone at five. So if you want to watch any of those previous chats, you can check them on my IG socials. That'll be up for the next 24 hours. And then you can also find it as well on YouTube if you put in Pop Cult Chic and then also on IG as well, pop.cult.chic. You can tell I'm a bit distracted because the sun's in my eyes. That's why I'm trying to like dart it about like that. But uh, Rico is in the group. If you send me the request, brother, and then we can get rolling, 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 rolling. What? Another great chat that I had was with uh, the nutritionist Kelly Herdsman on Monday and she was telling us about basically vitamin D is good for you, especially in this time. Don't wear sunglasses as much because basically like plants, we can take in the sunlight and it helps build our immune system. So I suppose that's what the universe is doing. Let's join. Yes, brother, how you doing? What are you saying, fam? You good? Yes, Jeep. Bra, 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 bra. You know what? Straight away, mate. You get him one of them. You get him one of them. Oh shit! Let me run to the kitchen. He's getting specially branded as well. Yes, yes. Mine's just a straight kitchen, no brand. I'm good. I'm very good, fam. How's things? Are you in Leeds or Manchester now? Leeds, so I'm still combining the love of Leeds with taking over Manchester. Man. Uh, so Manny's sick. I never realised like Manny had like the hometown fam. Manny's the one. And it, well, see, so you went the other way. So you went from Manchester. Was it Bury? Oh yeah, Bury boys don't back down, bro. Yeah, so from Bury, Manny to Leeds. So you went yeah. the other way. Whereas uh -huh. I've like got this like Yorkshire resilience where I'm like, I'm West Yorkshire, like, you know, and now I've got money and I'm like, uh, money is sick. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It is special. It's got something about it. Manchester's amazing too, bro. It's like, you know, birth of the industrial revolution, the music scene, Hacienda. We're some good people in Manchester. You can get a steak and kidney pudding from the chippy and the chippies are Chinese as well. You cannot complain with Manchester whatsoever. And it's got some sick skate spots. Like, I was all over that city as a youth. Like, a lot of fun. CIS building, gas works. Manchester's the spot, bro. 
Someone was telling me that, uh, and you might be able to shed some light on this as well, that the Northern Quarter was never what it, it seems to be now. It was quite a gritty area. Like they were telling me that if you walk through Northern Quarter, like maybe even as late as the late 90s, if you were oh, yeah. there at the wrong time, you'd be in for some trouble. Yeah, Northern Quarter never used to have all these nice little bars and everything around there. I mean, yeah, you're talking like late 90s, it was still bad. Uh, when I was 11, which was like... 1994 I think that's when I got my uh, dreadlocks done at Affleck's Palace in uh in Northern Quarter as you know and even walking through there with like my stepdad and stuff like the place was raw you know there was still a few little like good shops um you had like all the Forbidden Planet and everything up that side um Affleck's was still raw though you had like there was a place called Coliseum that's knocked down now and Coliseum used to have like a there was a store in there called Flavor that was owned by Prince Nazim's like brother. And he used to sell like Carl Kanai, Fubu and all that stuff in there. (laughs) He used to like, he used to go to the States uh, like twice a month and bring back like mixtapes and videos. So have you ever seen that? um, There's a documentary on Netflix uh, for about Stretch and Bobito, which is like an old, old, old like hip hop radio station back in the day. Like, that was one of the, the best radio stations that's ever existed in the form of hip-hop. That was when it was like, because um, back then, college radio was where you used to get all the dope MCs. So Stretch and Bobito used to have a, a radio station that was live in a college in New York. Is it on the hip-hop evolution one where they were on about? They speak about it a little bit in there, but there's, a whole, there's actually a whole documentary on Stretch and Bob. I know what you mean now. But that's like, have you seen like the Zoo York skate mixtape? Like nah. all, all the hip hop clips in that of, of the rappers rapping, that's all from Stretch and Bob because they used to film it as well. So they used to have like Wu-Tang come through, Big L the Mac and just do freestyles. And Nazimi's like brother used to like go to the States, get the tape recordings of them because they used to be played once a week, bring it back to the UK and then like just sell them like all like random pirated tapes and stuff. But it was dope. Manchester so was always in the list. Because that was the equivalent of like the corn exchange, you know, like I'll, uh, the youngins would chill out there. Yeah, exactly. Like the 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 alternative young ones would chill out there, you guess me. But yeah. yeah, there's always been a scene like that there. Like Affleck's Palace was like a department store of alternativeness. Like, <laughs> That's the right description. And every every everyone Yeah, fuck it, let's say it. Everyone that wasn't just like white and straight within the northern quarter you know what i mean it was where everyone else was like all the good people were in the northern quarter like no doubt so do you think it's still got a bit of that soul even though it's changed to the bar scene because i'd give that description to it but obviously i'm I'm quite fresh to what manchester is so mm. do you do you do you feel that it's lost a bit with how it was or are you happy with the direction it's going in good question i mean most cities right about now have lost the direction, if you get me. I mean, every, everywhere's getting gentrified. Everything that made a city interesting, whether it's London, Manchester or Leeds, all those alternatives, immigrants, yeah, 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 they're getting pushed out of city centres. So all city centres, I think, are becoming diluted. But Manchester will always have a soul. I think all cities will always have the soul. You're just not going to be able to see it as much. You know, Manchester people are a proud set of people. And especially with stuff like the Hacienda, 
the Britpop scene with Oasis. People really love it and are proud to be from Manchester. Let's let's get the boys in proper. There they are there in we background. Great, great Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're right, and it's good to hear this side of like Manchester. So if, if you had that um, that affinity and affection for it, what made you come to Leeds? University, bro. And just the chance to get away. I mean, when I moved to Leeds, I'd just come back from like three years in working in Falaraki. And yes. I was... <laughs> no, not yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like talking about that shit. Shit went down there. <laughs> I was a holiday rep around that time in Zanti, so oh. I can imagine. I can just imagine. You was a holiday rep in Zanti? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was there like... I was there 2001, 2002, 2003. Just as it would boomed and it were on TV, weren't it? With like, uh... I was there for both seasons of that TV show, bro. Club reps and club reps, the road workers. If you watch some of it, you may see me. There's like a few interviews. I'll not tell you what episodes though. <laughs> but yeah, like club reps was fucking raucous. All my boys in Sweden, like even they, I watched, I showed them a clip and they were like, no fucking way were you from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just titties. It's really just bad. Wild. It was. it was wild. Yo, Falaraki was insane. That really, like, made me kind of who I am today in a good and bad way. <laughs> Say no more. Mm. But yeah, when I, 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 like, moved over there when I was, like, 18, we, um, I, it was two, two days after my final A-level exam, and we had, like, a holiday to Falaraki with the boys. We're like, right, we're just going to get straight out of here. Like, two-week holiday. But then I came back like nine months later. <laughs> Ended up we we holidayed for two weeks. Then we like found jobs. Then I, we got a job working in a in a nightclub called Q Club. I did I was like a PR guy for like a week. You know, like stood out on the main street. Yeah. Coming in tonight, guys, two for one. Da da da. Yeah. Throwing out all the flies and all that. Not. Then like my boss came down. And was like, you don't even look right doing this. I'm gonna bring you into the bar and you can do bar support. So I used to be like a bar back and it was me and then like a team of like, I think there was like four Welsh guys that played rugby that were bar support. And we used to fill up all the fridges and stuff. And that was about it for like another week. And then the owner was like, you still don't look right, bro. I'm going to put you on the cocktail bar with Josh and see if you can make drinks. And then he put me in the cocktail bar, uh, worked on the cocktail bar for like two weeks cocktail bar we're talking falaraki in 2001 we're making like screaming orgasms and uh, slippery nipples and shit like that yeah yeah so i did that for two weeks and he was like and i just nailed it and then he was basically like do you want to be the manager of the r&b and garage room so i was like 18 years old managing an r&b and garage club in when that scene was popping as well yeah man i and upper fantasy island was on tv and all that like that scene was popping like, the second year I was out there, I also had to do, like, events management. But the only thing I did as events management was, like, artist liaison. So we had some artists in the club, so I just had to, like, liaise with them and take them out in Falaraki. But that was some heavy shit, bro. That was, like, Tony Hadley from Spandau yeah, Ballet. Yeah, yeah, Spandau Ballet. Yeah. Chesney Hawks came out. Yo, my man Chesney, like, did a, did, did a dare for, like, five pounds to get off with his girl. It was insane. Uh, <laughs> we had Oxide and Neutrino out there. That was insane. Yes. Uh, we had some of uh, Soul Solid crew come out there. 
their DJ set was whack. They brought like DJ Timeless out, and man from Soul Sonic was just like going, "Yes, Timeless, yes, <laughs> yes, Timeless, yes." And didn't even spit nothing. Who else did we have out? We also had like Vibes and Slipmat out as well, doing like happy hardcore. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had, oh, what's she called? What's the girl called? And not Angie Brown. Yeah, Angie Brown. Why waste your time? You know you gotta be mine. That one. She came out and did some singing. We had like an Ali G impersonator come out and stuff. Like the second year was fly. That was when Club Reps the Workers was out there. But now it was interesting to work out there and then like I've not stopped bartending since. I'm still in the game now and I'm thirty seven years old. So when you come back, that's when you were like you wanted to jump leads after there? Yeah, because I've been going there for like three years. And then one of my boys called Joe, Joe Stallman, he'd already, in my third year of Falaraki, he'd already gone to uni in Leeds. And then when I came back, he was like, you need to come to Leeds because it's popping. There we go. Sorry. What did you study? It was a little... What did I drop uh, out what, what... <laughs> 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 what did you drop Well, I'll tell you... What did I drop out of? Well, I started because what, what a lot of people don't realise about me is that I actually like, studied art until I went to university. I'm a massive art fan, love pop art, used to paint all the time. I'm a massive like, anime and comics geek. I used to like, uh, do my own superheroes. I used to write my own comic books and do all that stuff when I was a kid. I used to like, make yeah. my own skateboards and do all the design on them and shit. But then like my university, no, my... Uh, sixth form college just turned me off art but when i came back to uni like one of the things that i used to love drawing and painting the most is actually landscapes and city landscapes so i was trying to get into um what do you call it i've gone blank already architecture but you but like i didn't have a good enough grades to do architecture uh, from college so i was like oh there's this like architectural technology course maybe if i do this i can like sneak my way on that's the biggest mistake of my life bro because like <laughs> architects draw buildings and then architectural technologists use maths and physics to figure out if the building drawing will work i was like nah this ain't for me <laughs> this is not for me bro maths and physics is not my forte but um i managed to to swindle an amazing deal at leeds met university because i stuck with the course for a while just to make sure it was okay when i decided that i didn't want to do it it was too late to simply just like switch course. And basically the only thing I could do really is like leave uni, go back home and try and reapply in, in a year. You know, do your UCAS home and all that shit again. Yeah, but long. what actually happened, which was kind of nice, is my uni was like, we're going to do you a deal because we think you should stay here. They got me on an events management course the following year. But they were like, if you just quit now, you will just have to leave. But what we're going to do, we're going to keep you on the architectural technology course. Just don't come to lessons. And then at the end of the year, we'll just transfer you. But until then, stay in the halls of residence, stay in Leeds. You're going to be fine. So That's I ended chill. up... chill. That's well sound of him. It is, because I also ended up being uh, assistant manager of Northern Light while living in uh, halls of residence, <laughs> which is where I met Leon. 
And well, you know, Leon, the rest of that shit's history, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Which year was that for Nova Light? Was that around the time of Dirty Disco? Uh, nah, man, that was before Dirty Disco. That was like 2003. That was when it's still just like a giant, a giant uh, style bar. There used to be like some student nights on there. What was the student night on there? Wednesday's nights, chic, unique. It was. And it was back in the old, like, do you remember Abby and Amy? When Abby and, Abby and Amy used to do student nights in Leeds, it was, it was around that era. That's when, like, the student nights used to be in, like, all the fancy places in Leeds. And there was, like, student VIPs, like, Manolas and fucking Arch 54. That's where all the, like, posh... All the posh ones, all the Harrigan lot that had come through. Yeah, not like... We're not talking, like... Could you drink our own? No, yeah. none of that, yeah. On about like good spots where like we used to get like VIP in the sh in these student nights, and you can get like uh, bottles of JD, thirty five pounds, all the all the mixers, like table service and stuff. And this was yeah two thousand three, two thousand four when this was happening. Fair. Good. So fun. so was, was, at that time in that year in that down in that layer mm -hmm. from uni, had your enthusiasm completely shifted because you. You wouldn't really want to do event management either, really. That was just like a, a sort of baton that had been passed to remain at uni. But in that time, had you fallen in love with the bars again over in, in the league scene? Yeah, well, events management was kind of what I wanted to do because I felt that it, 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 it worked well hand-in-hand hand with my bartending. And then, obviously, managing a, a nightclub for a year, you kind of like do an events management. Yeah. The problem was that by the time I got to uni to do events management, I'd kind of been doing it. And like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm broke as fuck, you know, like I'm from a poor ass family and I was paying uh, university myself, paying for the fees and everything. So I was working like seven nights a week anyway, to, just to make ends meet. And it got to a point where it was like, if I can either continue with uni and stop working, but then I can't afford uni or just work. And it was a case of, I was just decided to work and just hammer down in the bar scene. Um, and that's why I went full-time at Northern Light after that. I mean, I was already full-time. I was just doing university full-time at the same time. Do you think, because obviously, and um, we, we're going to build through the sort of trajectory of where you're at mm -hmm. and everything, but to sort of fast forward, could you ever have envisioned the longevity that bar work would have had and the opportunities that it would have granted you? Hell no. Like, when I started out in the bartending world, I, there wasn't even brand ambassadors. No one was traveling. People were only making, like, slippery nipples. You know, London was a little bit more... London was a hell of a lot different. There have been, like, rides in the bar uh, in the whole world since, like, the early 90s. But when you look at, like, Leeds and Manchester, it takes a while for stuff to come up from, from London and really make home in, in the north. Because you know what we're like in the north? We're like, we don't care what happens in London. Yeah, you know? we're just in our own scene. Exactly. But do, do, do you, can you think of when there was a pivot, when there was something that changed in the scenes? Um, just when, when magazines like Class Magazine, Theme Magazine, when all these magazines started coming out and they were really going into specialist spirits and it wasn't just, oh, I'll have a vodka coke, rum and coke. It really went into these are the amount of vodkas you can get. And then people really started talking about how to like make drinks and it is an art form and there's a craft behind it then i really just started to like fall in love again 
like I said, you know, like I'm, I'm an artist at heart and it's just another, it's just a form of art. And it was subconsciously, I believe I was just letting my like artistic nature flow through again without realizing it. And I just fell for it because it was just natural for me to do stuff like this. And also like, it's just good fun chatting to people every day. <laughs> on well, the look, it, it seems like what you were doing out in Falaraki, you come back and you still manage to maintain that. It seems like a lot of, for me, when, what I fully respect about like bartenders is like the, the, the world of making cocktails is like, it's like learning a language. Like, oh, it's yeah. like learning a language, but then learning the history of that language so you're able to know. It's like not just learning English, but having an understanding about Latin as well. So yeah. why certain words are formed. So you've got all that side of it, but then it is the 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 personalities. I, I'm a strong believer that the personalities make that bar. As much as it's the music, as much as it's the drink, it's that personalities that, that definitely do make it there. And Ricky's just actually come through saying, my mind's telling me, yeah, which... I'm guessing so he's put Jake, Jake's days, but Jake's, oh, Jake's, Jake's, is Jake's is an incredible example. So how did you get from, when was Jake's after Northern Light? Like, let's come to the Jake's years, like, because I think oh, that bro. those were really, like, grounding years for a lot of people, a lot of influential people who've gone on in the lead mm. scene and on the world stage now. Well, I'll tell you, after, after Northern Light, um... Where did I go after Northern Light? Well, actually, you know, at the same time as working at Northern Light, I was also working at Dr. Wu's. Dr. Wu's was the first bar I worked in in Leeds, actually. Okay. Then I went from Wu's to Northern Light. Then from Northern Light, where did I go from Northern Light? Yo, we opened up Oracle after Northern Light. So what was on the opening team for Oracle then that was like, so I left Oracle and I was going to go and work at, I went to work at Boutique. Shout Boutique out, Shout out Boutique. But then uh, me and Boutique, like we, we parted ways, not in the best way at the time. Um, from Boutique, I was working at Norman's. So I worked at Norman's for a while straight after Boutique. Sorry, can you, can, you, can you hear me cat a minute? Like, play, my cat was just, I didn't know if you could hear me oh, cat. Yeah. I didn't but, know you got a cat. Yeah, I had a cat and I didn't know if it was coming through. So I wanted to let people know that I have a cat and not just a random bell out on my, on my bell end just swinging it around while you're talking. Like, it's my cat with a ball. So I just want wrong. people to know that. Right, sorry to cut you off. So, Boutique. Oh, good you. So, from Boutique, that fell through and went to Norman's. I was working at Norman's for like, I think I was working at Norman's for almost about a year or two. And then I was like, I want to get the fuck out of the bar industry. This is bullshit. So I ended up working at Exit, the skate shop, when that moved yeah, up yeah. into the light. Um, and while I was working at Exit, I was also the skate hardware buyer. Um, and I was also working in the evening at Frank's International Hairdressers. Remember Frank's when that opened up? No. So Frank's was a small bar that was owned by uh, the guys that used to do um, Asylum. And it was just right up by, across the road from like Zam Zam's. Um, I just used to like moonlight there for a little bit, just for some extra cash. And then, and this was like 2009. And then you know what happened in 2009, don't you bro? <laughs> Go the on. Fucking, the fucking recession. 
Boom. So the recession happened. I was the I was the last person to join work at exit. So I was the first person yes. out. Yes. Um, Frank was obviously struggling. So I ended up being unemployed for like almost almost a year. Really? And, yeah, luckily my landlord was my friend at the time and he was like, just live, stay living here. And then when you get a job, just pay me one and a half months rent every month until, until you fix it out. So I was yeah. like, sweet. And then I was actually started working in a, do you remember Melissa? She used to have like a, not Melissa, doesn't matter, but I used to work at like a calendar shop in Harrogate for a while. Right. just selling calendars for a friend of ours just because I, I had no job and then towards the end of like 2009 that's when Ian Silver was like you need a job but I was so adamant about not getting into the bar industry for nine months and I was like oh fuck it I'll start work at Jake's and I went in there I went into Jake's just as a bartender I started off like four like four shifts a week and then next thing you know I was like full-time then Ian was like, do you want to be the assistant manager? And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then literally after about a month, he was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to run Rock Bar. And I was made uh, GM of Jake's. And then that's when shit went real, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, I honestly, I don't care what anyone says. Like, I'd like, I really turned Jake's around. You know, we were, Jake's was doing... Jake's went from being like one of the best cocktail bars in the world and no discredit to anyone that might be on this like call watching it, but it literally became like an indie rock and roll nightclub. You had bare sweaty men in there drinking pints with that like asymmetrical like fallout boy fringe shit going on. <laughs> Remember all that shit blood? Yo, it was nasty. Like people were just in there sweating and I, ne I never really used to like it when I used to work there. But Sylvie used to always let me drop some tracks every now and then. She's some highbrow hip-hop and R&B. As soon as I got made GM, you know, Jake used to do, like, under 10 grand a week. I shouldn't tell you that. But then, <laughs> I don't go up from no more. I don't give a fuck. So then I, when, I took over, when I took over Jake's, I just straight switched the whole attitude of the people, um, all my staff, switched the music entirely from indie rock and roll to, like, fun time music r&b lots of 90s r&b and hip-hop uh some good single on tr ironic sing-along tracks and it went from being what it was to having uh, a queue all the way round to the back of like the corn exchange mm. just filled with women mm. and women ruled the night out like and the best thing is like jake's became filled with women and they felt safe there. They could come, they could listen and dance to like Brandy and Monica, the boys' mind. Like, yeah. who the fuck don't want to get down to that shit, bro? And like, it was just a good atmosphere. All the staff used to just love it. Everyone had fun. And obviously, if you've got a queue around the corner full of women, that means all the guys wants to come. So people just wanted to come to Jake's and find out what was going on. It got so raucous at one point that like, on a Saturday night, if it was like, if this was back in the day when it was like me, James Coston, Chris, Scottish Psy, uh, Aussie Psy, like uh, Christian Few, like in those days, oh yeah, Joey Gunner was still there as well. But like back in those days, if it was so busy, right, man used to have to stand on the bar if he needs to go get a cigarette and they would get crowd surfed to the stairs of Jake's, go outside, <laughs> have a cigarette, come back, 
Man would then jump into the crowd, get crowd surf back to the bar, just stand on the bar, and then and then carry on like surfing. Rock like, and roll. We were, yeah, we were dickhead rock and roll bartenders, bro. That's sick, like, bro. That's what you want. We were like insane, and we were arrogant as fuck. Like it was, <laughs> but there was, it was a time and a place, you know. It was a real time and a place where you could be like that. It's not a good look now, bro. Trust me, but like. It was fun at the time. <laughs> nah, mate, you playing that down like Jake's had it at that time. I remember spending one New Year's Eve in there and it was just, it was raucous. We could dance on the chairs back in the day, we'd be on the bar. It was when the DJ booth wasn't in like the kitchen. I don't know if you've seen it now, they've put it like. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember when we had to bring that DJ booth out every night and it was just by the chair. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, so everything was just involved. It was it was good times, man. And, and it's interesting to hear that you switched up the music because I always thought that... Because I remember when Chinny used to play at Jake's and I did love it when it was a bit more indie led there. But it seemed like it was a higher-up decision because it made sense that you had Neon that was just fresh on the scene and that was going down a bit more of the upbeat, housey, dancey nature. You had a Porto, which was going to be alternative indie, and then you had Jake's, which was sort of like the good vibes, like you said, but I didn't realise that you were the instigator behind that. Oh, hell yeah. Because for me, Jake's should not have been, should never have been downstairs at a Porto, which is, I kind of think, what it kind of became. Yeah. It should never have been that. It needed to be its own thing. And when Jake was there, it was very much Jake's bar. Now, he used to play a little bit of hip-hop, but not a lot because it's not really his his thing, but he knows the tracks. But it was all very ironic. He'd play tracks that he knew would engage, not like the crowd would like, would engage. You know, a little bit of Dolly Parton 9 to 5 on a Saturday night it will engage the crowd to a certain extent because it's kind of funny. You know, you can play these ironic tracks in there and you weren't offended. And all I did was just take that and turned it up to Rico level. That's all. <laughs> So we call levels above eleven, by the way. <laughs> would you would you say that uh, Jake's was when I remember the Institute, the first Institute started there? Um, well, and, kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Jake's the Institute was more Portobello Star, and then what happened is as the star started to grow, Jake's took some of the cues from the stars, and we started to get the still. That's when we had the uh, the refurb. I thought it was the other way around. I thought it started at Jake's and then from that it went to Portobello. No, we just used to make shit for them up at Jake's. Right. We used to make a lot of the single botanical distillates up there. Would you say say that that's when you started looking at the world away from being behind a bar? When When you could get involved with production? Not really, because I'm, I'm still, I like still miss the bar right now, bro. Like, I miss it. As much as, like, I enjoy my job, like, I'd rather just be making drinks and doing conference calls right now, you know what I mean? I'd rather be, like, making cocktails and chatting to some good people than creating, like, PowerPoint decks and stuff like that. But, um, no, it wasn't until I got down to London that I decided to move out of the, out of the way of the bar. And to be honest, it wasn't really a decision fueled by myself it was a it was a decision fueled by my situation at the time like when i left when i left leeds i had i didn't leave leeds in the nicest possible way i had a i had a friend that basically 
systematically stole most of my life savings, if not all. So I was in a real bad spot when I first moved down to London and I just needed to get a job that paid more. And that ended up being like a job that I'd never thought I'd get, which was working for Absolute Vodka. And yeah, I ended up, I mean, I was only in London for like six, seven months before I started working for Absolute. That's how much of a situation I was in. And I'd been trying for like almost like five, six years to go and work at the start. And when I moved down there, I ended up having like to get a, like who moves from Leeds to London and ends up getting a pay cut, bro? That's exactly yeah, what happened to me. Like got a pay cut, shit got real, life got hard, needed to get a job. And then from out of nowhere, like Absolute was a brand that I've always loved. Uh, people never believe me when I say that. But like I said, I used to be like an art fanatic and an art student as a kid. And I knew what Absolute is because before vodka, what vodka was, because of that guy right there, the one and only Andy Warhol. Like I've been studying his stuff since I was a child. So as soon as Absolute came along, I was like, Absolute's cool as fuck. Warhol worked with them. Herring's worked with them. Hearst has worked with them. You know, it was just, it was a no brainer for me and ended up loving it. And next thing you know, I'm working at Absolute for almost uh, three years in London. Uh, the global position came up to be the global ambassador. I applied for it like another 40,000 people did and I just managed 40,000 people? Pretty sure that's what I got told. I could be lying. <laughs> I, I could be making it up for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> but I got the job. That's all that matters. <laughs> so what was your role in, in London with him? Uh, UK brand ambassador. So the same job title, total different role. It was a lot more hands-on when I was in London, which I did enjoy. It was a lot more getting out there doing trainings. It was a lot more drinks development. It was a lot more being in the bars with the bartenders, just not actually making the drinks. Yeah. Managed to get a couple of like star tender shifts myself. But yeah, like it was a lot more hands-on in London and I, I did enjoy it. But I'm glad I had my stint in London for sure. I don't think I could live in London forever. I don't think I ever wanted to. Mm. I was speaking with uh, Prince uh, last week, Shah Prince always, no, Prince. and um, he he thinks that he's got another six months if possible in London. He thinks that it's a bit of unfinished business. He loves Australia and he thinks he could. I don't think they'll come back. I think they'll settle there. But when they get the PT, the permanent uh, resident PR, sorry, permanent residency, mm. um, it comes with you're allowed to be away for two years out of the five. So I think he thinks he's got unfinished business with London. But do you think London for you, you you've done it and you, you're just content with, with seeing it as when it was? Yeah, I'm content with my time in London. I don't, I don't feel I've got unfinished business there. I, I, I feel I've got a lot of friends there that I miss a little bit. But no unfinished business whatsoever. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy not to be there. And it's kind of crazy where I am now because obviously I'm living in Stockholm. And... Like, my initial thing was to, like, come here three, four years and then do something else. I wasn't sure if it was going to be, you know, move back to the UK, move back to London, try and do something there, move back to the UK, move to Manchester, maybe even move back to Leeds, who knows? And I got, a, I got, into, a real, I got into a real bad spot while I was out here, actually. Um, I'd spent, like, the first two and a half years of living in Stockholm pretty much alone. And when I say alone, I mean, I was on the road all the time. My job role was 80% travel, like global travel. In the first two and a half years, I've actually traveled the world and all continents seven times. What? Yeah, it's been pretty full on. Like I've only- Seven times? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in like the first, in the first two and a half years of living in Stockholm, I think I was in Stockholm eight months in total, maybe six, just because of the, just because of the workload and I had to be in different places all, all the time. That's why I'm still awful at Swedish. But like I got into a real, because it was, and I don't want to offend anyone if anyone from work at, at, at tax here, but it's real tough to live if the only friends you have are your work friends, if that makes sense. You go, yeah. you do that. It becomes like, just like lame, really. And I wasn't enjoying it. And I didn't feel like I was being myself. I didn't feel I'd found the people like me in in Stockholm. And also, like, I was just constantly in hotel rooms alone. Constantly with a new brand manager from a new market. So it's two and a half years of introductory, like, in, introductions. No yeah, stability, yeah. No, no, no blossoming of, like, building yeah. a, a, a solid friend's rapport, like. Exactly. And it wasn't until I found, like, my good friends here, like, almost, like, two years ago now, that I just fell in love with this city, bro. Stockholm's unbelievable. Like, as soon as I was, like, given the keys to the city, so to speak, and got shown how to, how to navigate and met, the, met my... I've got, like, six friends in Stockholm, right? And that's it. I've got six hardcore friends. They're the only people, like... I really give a shit about seven actually just in case they're on but you know i've got my girls like elian and sinead love those bitches to death and then i've got my hardcore boys which is kimbo uh stalking andreas and Yorn. like these guys like these four guys really opened the door and let me in um they they've all been friends for like 15 years you know it's a real close-knit group you know like your c23 clan yeah you know? yeah it's exactly the same as that. Like these boys have been through it all. And for some strange fucking reason, they let this 37 year old British guy into their crew. And we've all just been mates ever since. Like those guys are amazing. And just the way their friendship is, has just turned my entire like preference of this city and this country around. Like I was ready to come home. But when I was going through like my dark times when I was here, had some time off work with depression and stuff. These boys would come around to my house every day just to see if it was okay. You know, I'd only known them for a year, but they'd come around with food. We'd sit, watch, watch TV, smoke some shit, you know, and like, just chill out. They were real, like, they became more family than friends. Yeah, man. And they then, showed the care. Exactly. And you can't, you can't, you can't take shit like that, like lightly. And then from that, you know, just my first real summer in Stockholm was like summer 2018. And it was glorious. But when we got to like summer 2019, like that shit was like the best summer I've ever had in my entire life. Like Stockholm is, it was, Stockholm's just a good city. You know, it's 14 islands in an archipelago stuck together. <laughs> so you're basically kind of like always surrounded by water. And the water's clean, so we just go swimming in the city in the summer. We're all out on our bikes. We're going to our secret swim spots. We're barbecuing. We've got roof terraces. Like, life's, life's, like, good. Like, people enjoy themselves here. But you've just got to break through the Swedish, Swedishness of them and allow them to, like, open up, and then they're just cool as fuck people. 
Is it cliche to say that it's really cold? Because I couldn't imagine you swimming in these lakes and the water around it if it's freezing. So is it quite cliche to say it is cold? I mean, everyone thinks that it's like cold, like real, real, like really cold, like all year round. <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's kind of like the UK, as in there's winter and there's summer. Yeah, seasons. And you get used to them as well, like accustomed yeah. to when you can do what you can. But the seasons are a little bit different. Like the winter's full on here. It can get down to like minus 10. I've been here when it's been like minus 10. You know, it's like full blown snowing. I've got a bike. I've got a snow bike. I've, you know, I've got like huge freaking winter boots and stuff that I never had. Like the first year I was here and it was winter, I like wrapped up in all my winter shit from the UK, went outside. And as soon as I got outside, I was like, well, this ain't going to work. <laughs> Because this ain't really, this don't keep me warm. This is not how we do winter. Like, I, I had to get taxis to the office that day because I couldn't walk or stand outside. It was that cold. <laughs> and then, like, the old, we used to have this uh, older lady that used to work on my team called Bodil. And she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you need better boots and a better jacket. You know, you got to go buy the, like, the real stuff. But then the summers, the summers, I'm not going to talk about London. Because London summers, can be fucking awful, like so hot, it's a joke because of the humidity. But like the summers here are like hotter than any summer that I've ever had in, in, in uh, Leeds or Manchester. The summers here, you can like, you can tan here in Stockholm, like <laughs> in the summer, if it's a good one. And the swimming's good, you know, you get in like, last year we had like, the water was like 23 degrees around where we were. Oh, fair. And it's all clean and the shit's beautiful. 23 degrees, of course, is room temperature. All right, that's the only science fact I remember from school. And actually, nice. uh, I, I learned one Swedish word for you today and it came to me through the universe, through synchronicity. So apparently the word fart is speed. So when Keanu Reeves was going around his world premiere when he got to Sweden, he would have been the movie star of the film Fart. <laughs> It made yeah. me laugh as well. I know it's really childish, but it properly made me laugh. I can't deny that. It made me laugh. But um, can we, obviously, I don't want to delve too much on the current situation, but I understand uh, Sweden are handling it slightly different, so you've not got the mm. lockdown. So how, how has it been? How, how are you finding it out there through the situation? How's it differing? Good question. I'm just going to walk through here as well, because I can see that my, uh, my phone's about to die, bro. You know, I respect as well while you're walking. You're like, I'm tired and I, you know, I respect this. And you know, I didn't, you didn't want to be on it for long. And I was like, should I cut off or not? But we're just flowing. So I respect yeah. your time. I respect you giving me the time I do, brother. Thank you. Anytime for you, Benny boy. It's all good, G. I'm, and also, I'm going to get out there. You know, I was hitting you up about them comedy clubs, bruv. You know, I'm serious about that one. So all this is lifted. I want to come through and if there's any English-speaking comedy clubs, I want to... I was trying to get to a Kendrick gig out in Sweden. I think he was there in March. Like, uh, I ended up going to Paris, but I wanted to come... Honestly, it's, it's on the radar, brother. I'm going to get out to see you out there. Download that, download that Songkick app, man. Songkick's a dope app for finding out if there's any, like... It links directly to your Spotify and then tells you if there's anyone that you like in Spotify doing concerts in your area. I know you like your Spotify on your uh, on your stories. <laughs> but yeah, about the Swedish like pandemic. Like first of all, when it comes to like self-isolation and social distancing, 
that's like a Swedish thing, fam. Like they they just do that anyway, bro. Like they were like, we have to stay inside. Yes, we don't have to see people. Yes. Like even when you go to even on a normal Monday and you go to like the the bus stop, there's two meter gaps between fat people anyway, bro. Like so, you know, the it was never gonna spread that hard. But this is the thing. This is this is the difference. It's just the mentality of the people here. Yes, there's no government lockdown. And yes, there's no enforced quarantine or enforced isolation. But everyone's doing it anyway. The government has recommended it. You know, the government recommended don't go and travel anywhere on Easter because when there's holidays here, a lot of people have like holiday homes in the countryside, et cetera, et cetera. So they'll all get together with the family. And the government said it'd be a good idea if you didn't do that during Corona. And 96% of the country stayed at home just because the government asked. You know, like when it comes to like the 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 health workers here, you know, I was just chatting to my mum because my mum's always giving me shit, saying, "I hope you're clapping for the carers at eight. Like, yeah. mum, I'm not. If I was the one guy stood in the street in Stockholm just clapping every night at eight o'clock, I'm gonna get arrested because they think I'm some crazy man, you know. But <laughs> but you know, she's like, I think it's insane what's going on in Sweden. You know, da 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 da. You know, you gotta clap for the quick carers, like. Swedish nurses and doctors just got a pay rise because of Corona. No need to wow. clap for them because the government just looks after them. Like when you look at the UK, I think the population density is 274 people per kilometer. And in Sweden, it's 25. Fair. You know, there's only 9 million people here. 50% um, of them are in Stockholm, pretty much. Like most of the populations in Stockholm. The country is maybe two, three times the size of the UK, but there's less people that live here than in London. Bigger than UK. Sweden's a huge country. And half of it's not even like populated because half of it's the Arctic Circle. Like, but Sweden's a bigger landmass than the UK, I believe. But the population size is like nine, nine million. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm getting my facts wrong, but there's still less, less people here. So like, it was never really going to spread too much. And people like listen to the government here because, I mean, all governments are corrupt, but the Swedish one's pretty okay. Like they do things for the people. That's why there's been no outcry about essential workers because essential workers just get treated better. They're just getting the pay rise during this, and right, and rightfully so. I mean, so all all bars, restaurants are still open, but there's restrictions within them. You know, they're only allowed X amount of people. You're not allowed to be stood up inside. You have to be sat down. Like, so there's social distancing going on. Everything's being enforced. It's just, it's not a police state. That's all it is. How's it uh, impacted yourself, you know, traveling around and everything? Is this one time when you've got to fully indulge in Stockholm because of the prohibiting of, of flights to different places? Yeah, I mean, we're not even, we're not even allowed to do any internal travel. Like within the UK, within, within Sweden. But even trains and stuff then, so you're pretty much like just to we, your own areas? Well, yeah, we just got to stay in Stockholm. Like, I'm still on the tube and stuff. So, yeah, I'm always like traveling around and also um, I cycle around everywhere. I'm always cycling. Like, my gym's still open, so I'm still working out like five, six times a week. Everything's still open. It's just restricted. 
Uh, tell us a bit more about uh, your videos. I've been seeing that I've, I've, I, you you are a man who you could smash it on the video front, definitely, man. But is this is this something? And and also, uh, I forget the singer that it was. There was a singer that you posted up, and you you said it was your first piece of like commercial branded. So it was actually in a, a music video or whatever where you got absolute into that. So is this somewhere where you an area which you're looking to branch? your own expertise with mm. the branding set? Yeah, well, uh, it's just the project that I run right now is I look after a lot of the product integration within uh, music videos um, and TV and movies. So that was like the first thing that I'd done that I'd actually gone out there and been shown. And I'm just trying to take the brand in a different direction rather than just being super cheesy, trying to get something a little bit more intelligent, something a little bit more real, something a little bit more artistic. So we work together we were going to do a product integration in the We Got Love Tiana Taylor video. Yeah. And we really wanted to be in it. But the thing is, there wasn't really like a natural moment for the brand to be in the video. So I was like, kind of just kind of said like no to it because like really want to work with her, really wanted to be part of one of her projects. This project was an amazing one that I would love to have been a part of like in the actual music video itself. But I didn't want to force it. I didn't want it to look forced or look like an advertisement. Like, I, wanted, I want stuff to look like it should be there. And she's like, well, we're going to drink some absolute during the rap party. And when we have a rap at the end, maybe we can do some behind-the-scenes footage and wrap up the whole shoot with some absolute. It's like, let's do that and see what it looks like. So we got, like, the behind-the-scenes footage. And we're just kind of basically seeing how it goes. And, yeah, taking the brand in a whole new di direction into relevance, cultural relevancy. Well, it, you're merging the two worlds. Obviously, you love your music. And I think that it definitely... One of the things I always remember is um, somebody... They always bring Absolute as the logo, as one of the most recognisable logos on the planet. Yeah. So if you're able to instill it into that world, you know, into the music world, especially with the love that you have with, with the music as well, it seems like it's a no-brainer, really. And mm -hmm. I know that you're doing your own videos as well. We've probably got about another five minutes of chat if you're okay, right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to let let's let's continue with this with the angles that you see this, and then let's finish with like your own videos, your own like sort of absolute videos that I think I believe I've seen on on YouTube as well. So, is there any other artists that you'd like to work with? I mean, is there a bit of irony? And I think you'd go for it, but if you approached ASAP Rocky, where you know what he went through in Sweden, and then you were like, come a win with like an absolute and I bet he'd go for it. Yeah, I think that angle would be great. But I really want to try and work more with uh, up-and-coming artists. Up-and-coming. Try and build a relationship with them. And also, like, when you say up-and-coming artists, like, especially when you talk about the, that to the business, like, we're just talking artists which aren't on, like, a Drake or Beyonce level. <laughs> you know, they still see, like, Childish Gambino as a fucking up-and-coming artist type <laughs> about a year ago. Just because... People, is he's not, he's not that much in the stratosphere of like he wasn't the Beyonces and the Drakes and the Jay Zs. You know what he's I mean? Up, he's up. He, he is on, now, and he's on. always and he's always been to me. But I'm talking to like the general public, you know, like even people like Tiana Taylor, like people were like, who's she in the office? Like she's not an up and coming artist. She's an artist. But she's just not as famous as maybe Kanye West. Do you know what I mean? 
still an artist, but she's not a super fucking star. And it's getting out of trying to just work with the superstars and working with some real people that we can really build like relationships and collaborations with. Do you have direct ins then, or are you literally almost cold calling in a certain manner to, nope. to these sort of acts? We've got direct ins, but the company has not me, not me directly. But, uh, so, so you could literally go with a hit list and go, I want to speak with these, these, and these, and then they can go from there. Kind of. Don't want to let you know too much about my business, fam. What about <laughs> what about uh, up and coming? Is in a uh, up and coming. Let's look into it. You I'll never know. I'll there and DJ. You know, I want to DJ at some absolute events, mate. I'll tear it up. All right, all right. Well, I'll, I'll hit you up with our guy Danny, who's like the absolute guy in the UK. He might be able to give if he's doing some parties and stuff. He might be able to get you on the road there. But as a and the thing with in, in Sweden. We don't do any. We don't really do absolute parties that much in Sweden, and that's purely because Sweden's actually a dark market. So there's no alcohol, uh, like advertisement, meant to be going on here. So whenever we do do stuff, it's usually at like big festivals. You know, we've got way out west here, so there we can have. We've got like an area, but like just like absolute parties in Sweden are pretty low. But DJ gigs for you is all right. I got some contacts and get some gigs. And now I'm getting myself out there, hundred percent. Let, let's let I respect that. Let's wrap it up then, because I've seen some of you, your your videos as well. So is this an angle that you want to go down? Because you were saying previously in this chat that you do miss a bit of the hands-on action, maybe a bit behind the bar. Is is are these videos almost filling that that quench to be in that still making and do. You, do you think that there's also a future way of doing guest spots at bars or is there just not enough time for you to, to fit that in? No, it's not. The reason why I really want to do these videos and it's taken me a long time to, to get to them is just because I find that people at home can't really make cocktails. And I find that all we really do as an industry is give them simple cocktail recipes to make. But no one's really showing them how to make it you know there's there's been there there has been uh cookbooks since cooking's invented right but people didn't really start making food at home like they do today until yeah. the jamie olivers came out and started showing people how to cook in a really simple manner and mm. i feel that's the thing that's lacking that crossover into the real world from the bar world i think that's the thing that's lacking and actually showing people like little tips, tricks, and how you can make stuff at home if you want to, and not being just an RC bartender, like a real wanky bartender. And I just found as well that like, if people are gonna make drinks at home, I just don't think we should be doing like drink videos in a bar using all bar tools because it just mm, because relate. they might not have them. Yeah, and that you've got to make sense. it relatable. So I don't think I just want bartenders to cross over. That's all it is. You know, if, if, and I'll be honest, like if Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, David Choi, you know, all these celebrity chefs, if they were to come to either like Leeds or Stockholm to like have a pop-up, everyone in the city is going to know about it, right? But if a famous bartender comes, only the bar industry knows about it and only the bartenders give a shit. And it's mad because we said, we covered off earlier that uh, people go to the bar and I'm a massive believer, it's the mm. personalities behind that bar that make it. 
So it is mad that it is that way that no one's really brought through. But this is a good sort of tie-up. Should we give props to the Schofields? What's it like to see them boys from working with, you know, yourself under you to see how they've, like, taken over? Yo, I love the Schofields to death. And, like, when they moved to Leeds, you know, they, you know where they worked before they came and worked for me? You know, they used to work at Chili White's. Did they? Yeah, so they were working at Chili White's. And they used to come to Jake's like every night and just sit at the bar. And then I can't remember who it was that left. I think it might have been like Christian Few left. And then Joe came was like, can I get a job? But the thing is, and I don't know if you know this about the Schofields, they're from Bury. Oh, you're they from your ends. Did you know one before then? Nay, no, no, no. But when they used to come in, I, I, I listened to the voice and I was like, where are you guys from? You're from Manchester. And they're like, we're from Bury. I was like, yo me too and from that it's game over so as soon as joe came he's like oh i heard thing is left i don't even get a job i was like you're from berry you're hired come on <laughs> so like uh joe schofield he worked he worked for me for like about a year or so and then from that he he moved to sydney to go work at palmer and co and when he moved to sydney that's when danny was like can i get can i get joe a job i was like yeah and then, but me and Danny ended up working together for almost like three years. But then it was when I got my job at the Port of Alistair and had to move to London. That's when Danny was like, fuck this, I'm leaving as well then. So Danny left, he moved back home to Manchester for I think one year where he worked at, he worked at the Liars Club, bro. Yes. So he stayed at home, worked at the Liars Club to save some money. And then he got a job at Little Red Door in Paris. And then from that, from Joe and Palmer and Co, Danny and Little Red Door, then Joe came comes back, works at Zeta Townhouse in London, then ends up at the um, what do you call it, the Savoy. Danny's in Little Red Door in Paris Rages, comes back to London, ends up getting a job at Sixty Nine Colbrook Row and killing it as well. Then the next thing you know, the where they are now. Like love those fucking boys, they're amazing. Love them so this, much. I've got literally a minute left. What would you summarise in words be of that time in Leeds in the bar industry? Fucking magical, bro. That type of, like, that will never happen again. You know, when things so great like that happen, you've got to take them for what they are. Like, my time in Falaraki was unbelievable. And I know that that period of time and what we were doing and how we were doing things is a dead thing you know no one's going to be doing shit like club reps anymore and the same with like i mean you saw what core lane used to be like i mean i don't know what it's like now but i don't think it's anywhere near what it was at one point and that's just a moment in time and history that is just magical in its memories like some of the shit we used to get up to is fucking illegal <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're a sick guy. You're an absolute sick guy. Thank you for your time. And uh, Anytime, the final bro. point from me is that don't think it went under the radar that you had. You said that you had dreadlocks. We want to see a photo <laughs> online of you with your dreads hanging around Alex Palace. I've been asking. I've been asking for my mum to send the dreadlock photos, but she's secretly like, "Oh, I can't find any." She secretly hates them, bro. Like I had like I had like proper '90s dreadlocks, bro. Oh man. Like, I did. I look like Roger from Sister Sister, brother. Oh, same thing, fam. 
I had like the shitty dreadlocks <laughs> to like here with an undercut, bro. The undercut was in. Yo, it's cutting. I've got to go. But always love for you, my brother. You stay safe and cool out there. And I'll leave yes, you man. after. Bless, man. Peace. Bless, bless, bless. Peace. I'm going to be back for my next chat in literally seconds, everybody. So make sure you join me to chat with Talisha.